Well, let's go to the book of Joshua today for our lesson. We're going to be covering actually verses 10 down through verse 18, or we're going to try to anyway. Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And you remember from our previous lesson, we learned that Joshua was told or commissioned here to take the people over into the uh, promised land. We see that in particular from verses 2 down through verse 9. And encourage him to do so. God uh, relates unto him some of the great things that he's to think about and to meditate upon in order for him to be faithful unto the Lord and doing all that he's commanded to do. We see those four things was, of course, the promise of the Lord himself regarding the land, that that was a purchase possession of his to them, that he had given it to them by promise and they were to go in then and they were to take it. Secondly, we see God's promise of his presence. That is, if they do go in, he certainly would abide with Joshua and, of course, the whole nation as well. And then thirdly, we see the command uh, itself that they were he was to pick up and go. They were not to dwell any longer on the other side of the Jordan, but they are about ready to cross over. And so we see the actual command itself to pick up and to go. And then lastly, we are told or see here that he is to meditate upon God's word. And that will be a way in which he will not only be obedient, but he will be prosperous and have good success in the way. So those are four things that not only Joshua was commanded to and seen to do in order to be an encouragement to him, but they are encouragements to us. If we would take these things to heart, realizing that we have a promised possession, uh, our inheritance is something that is ours by the grace of God. It's been given to us. We do now have the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. We have the commands of certain duties that we are to do and the things that we are not to do. So we see those commands from the God's word. And of course, we'll know none of these things apart from Scripture. And so we see the exhortation into ourselves to meditate upon the Lord. It's easy to meditate upon everything but the things of God. And so we really have to fight that battle in order to fight the battle uh, when we go out and uh, try to claim that which is ours by the grace of God. So with these things in mind, then Joshua then was to be ready and he was to go. And so now in verses 10 through 18, we do see this. So we see now Joshua's command. Notice here he picks up immediately and he begins to tell the people, and especially here the head. So let's look at verses 10 and 11, first of all. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth, to, giveth you to possess it. So we see, first of all here, Joshua gives a command. So we see the command of Joshua to move the people across. Joshua just wasn't going to, as it were, snap his fingers and then suddenly they're transported over into uh, the land of promise. Instead, we see here that he meets with the officers, he meets with the leaders of the tribes there, and he gives the command itself that they are to, in particular, to prepare victuals because they are going to be crossing over the land. First of all, this teaches us very plainly 
we see that even though Joshua was a servant, yet he is given commands himself. Some have the mistaken notion that since we're all the Lord's freemen, uh, since we're all supposedly equal in Christ, that we are without authority over us. And I'm afraid that's just not the case. God does not do away with spiritual leadership who are to stand and to proclaim with authority and with power the commands of the Lord. And I realize in our supposedly equal society, no one is better than the other. And, and, and obviously, in a true sense, that is absolutely true. We are equal in Christ Jesus. But that equality does not do away with the everyday, everyday affairs in life, whether it be uh, national government, whether it be family government, whether it be the workplace, or whether it be in the church itself. In fact, Titus is reminded when he is, as he's doing his ministry by the Apostle Paul, these things speak and exhort and notice and rebuke with all authority. And so Pastor Titus here is given the exhortation, he's given the command to rebuke and to do the things that he's commanded to do with all authority. And let no man, he says here, despise thee for it. So this idea that, you know, suddenly because we are saved, that we're kind of spiritual lone rangers out here, it just is not the case. And I would say here this morning, beware of those who strive to take away lawful, biblical authority. You abstain from them as you would the plague. Because they are dangerous, seditious people. You say, even spiritually speaking? Oh, even more so spiritually speaking. Because really what they're out to do, they're putting Scripture against Scripture. So they're obviously not believers in the true Word of God. And not only that, but they're really trying to take the spiritual lead from others and place it upon themselves. That's the real end of the matter. They're not trying to be a help to the people. What they're trying to do by quelling spiritual, biblical leadership is to put it upon themselves. And that's the worst form of robbery. And so we need to realize that these folks are not our friends. They're not uh, safe guides. They are in reality very dangerous people. And so we need to be very careful against that. But again, someone will say, well, we are all equal. We all are servants. Yet the very next verse in our text shows us contrarywise as far as this authority and commanding is concerned. Here Joshua, who truly is a servant of the Lord, he's a servant of the people, he commands the officers. And then in turn, what are these officers who are servants of the Lord and servants of the people, what are they to do? Pass through the host and command the people. Here again, we see that they are to take authority and they are to exercise it. They're not to go around taking a poll about whether they think they need to have vittles for the next three days or not. What they need to do is to get up and to command the people to go forth. And you go forth by preparations in order to go over. Do we see a vote here? Do we see Joshua or the people somehow submitting to the will of the people? trying to get everyone's ideas about it, and however many millions of people that are really there at that particular day, that's how many opinions Joshua and the officers would have gotten from the folks. No, God doesn't work that way. 
That's true. We are to listen to counsel, sound counsel. We're not to be foolish in that light. But brethren, at the end of the day, God has set leaders over his people. And there are those I know who do not care for that kind of teaching. But nonetheless, it is still the truth. Joshua commands in verse 10. And then those who are commanded in verse 11 are in turn then to command others. There has to be leadership, brethren. There has to be leadership in this church. There has to be leadership in all churches if churches are expected by means, and I say this through means, if the church is expected to survive through the instrumentality that God has set up in His Word, it will not survive apart from biblical spiritual leadership as it is given from the Word of God. It is only anarchy to think otherwise. And that, again, this is true. This is a truism that really goes across the board. We can divorce it from the church if you like, and that's fine. But, you know, there's national government. We have to have a head. Whether we like the present head or the next present head doesn't make a difference as far as God is concerned. We are to submit. There is to be leadership. There is to be authority. The family the same way. There are to be heads within the family. It's not the children, which so often you see in our society, the children who run the family, but it is the dad and the mother and the dad in particular who has it upon his shoulders. He's not usurping authority when he commands his wife or when he commands his children. And that may sound harsh to our American ears, but brethren, it's biblical. And to the Christian, it shouldn't sound harsh at all. Now, we realize there are those who are tyrants. We recognize that there are those who have family government or who are national government who do not rule out of love. But again, that doesn't make a difference. As far as the fact or the truism that is concerned here, that there are to be leaders. The workplace again. And even the workplace is messed up in this area. We've got all this nonsense going on in the workplace just to get people tricked into working. They won't work by simply you telling them to go do a job. You've got to trick them to go do their job. You've got to use psychological ploys upon them. You've got to have meetings on how to have meetings with your people in order to make them work. Why? Because we've gotten away from this idea of authority and leadership. And it's sad. Because look at our society. It's a society that's given over to self rather than serving and being obedient. Well, we see that in the first two verses. What do they do here? Joshua commands. He commands the officers. And then turn the officers command them. What does he command them here? Well, he commands them that they are to take vittles. Uh, the word vittel, victuals is what it looks like. But it's actually pronounced vittles. If anyone have ever watched the old TV programs, some of the silly stuff that went on in the 60s, you know the vittles meant food. If you're still in the South or you come from the South, that sometimes is a word that's still used in the deep part of it. You will still hear the terminology vittle. Well, they got it out of the Bible, believe it or not. Or at least for, for those of us in the English language, we got it from Scripture. And vittles are simply food. And so he's telling them here to make preparation. Does anyone know why this would be so? 
Why was uh, the people of Israel being prepared here at this point? Well, one, it is an act of obedience. It's just good to be under discipline. It's good to do what you're told to do. Secondly, there was a very practical reason, and that was the manna was going to stop falling once they got over to the other side. There was no longer going to be the manna out on the ground as they went out every morning to pick it up except for the Sabbath. And and the day before the Sabbath, there was to be twice as much gathered. That's no longer going to happen. And so there was some real wisdom here that they were to prepare for the upcoming events that were going to take place in this time. The third thing we can note here, or actually part of the second thing here, is that even though they are promised all of this and God was going to take care of them, they were to prepare anyway. They weren't just to go over and put their hands in their pocket and wait for God to fill it up. They were to go over and they were to labor. They were to be in preparation and they were to labor and they were to take. Even though God had promised it to them, we see here the means by which that promise was to be fulfilled was by their doing. And sometimes we can become, because we believe in God's sovereignty so much, we can become so apathetic. And we can realize, well, if God's going to do it, He's going to do it, and so I don't have to do anything. That's a wrong way to look at the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God was never placed in the Bible for man to be lazy and not to give himself over unto preparation. Even the Lord's Prayer that He taught us there in Matthew 6 teaches us that we're to pray for daily provisions, aren't we? But I thought God has promised them. Yes, He has. But we're to pray for them anyway. So you see, it doesn't contradict or counsel out God's sovereignty and God's promises and God's love towards us. This is simply the fulfilling of it. So we see then, even though they're promised all of this, they are to do it themselves too. Thirdly, we see that we see here Joshua's quick obedience. In verses 10 and 11, we see that Joshua is not messing around here. He had been given his responsibilities. There's in verses 2 through 9. He sees what is the will of God. He's heard the promises, the things to buttress him in order to go over and to do his work. And he's quick about it. He immediately gathers the people together, or the, the leaders, and tells them, this is what you need to do. Here's a space of time to begin to do this because we're going over. So once he knew the will of God, he proceeded And brethren, so should we. It's true, we ought to be willing to obey. But from that willingness then ought to come an actual obedience that goes with it. Having a resolve to obey is great. We teach it. We think it's necessary. We think you better have a resolve to be obedient to God. Because if you're not resolved to be obedient, you won't. But even with all that resolve, there has to be an actual carrying out of the commands of God. Let's don't be lazy about it. Yes, we can make all the good resolutions we need to, but let's follow through with them and be faithful. And just because we're willing doesn't make it obedience. So let's be careful about that. And then notice this verses 12 through 15. Through 15 we see Joshua's specific command and reminds the Reubenites and the Gadites and the Manessees of their responsibility. 
And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half uh, the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and cat, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on the, uh, this side, O Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Unto the Lord have given you your brethren rest, as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side Jordan toward the sun rising. Say, what is all of this about? Well, if we'd have been going verse by verse through the, the Pentateuch, we would have seen this. But go back to Numbers 32. There were a couple of tribes, two and a half tribes, who, when they got to a certain point, actually, and, and a lot of people fault this. I've heard sermon after sermon, well, they just weren't obedient. They didn't go all the way over. But in reality, God had promised that whole country over there to be theirs, was it not? They were to take it all the way from the Euphrates unto the Mediterranean Sea. So in reality, they were possessing that portion of land over there. So I've heard a lot of sermons against that. But be that as it may, there was some tribes who, or half, some, some of the tribes, who decided this is good enough. We will stay on this side of Jordan and we won't pass over. And of course, Moses is ready to be upset about that. But they promised, well, we won't just let you all go over without us helping you. We will leave our children, we will leave our goods, we will leave our wives and home, and then we will come across the Jordan and we will help you. And we will help you fight for you to take possession of your land or the promised land that God had given you as well. And so this is where this is coming from. Numbers 32 and verse 20. And Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord your war, to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. That's where that phrase comes from. Have you ever heard that? Be sure your sin will find you out. This is the circumstance in which that's taken from. He's warning them, if you do not fulfill the covenant that you will go over, you will go over and help your other brethren to receive their portion, then your sin will find you out. That's what that's talking about. And he goes on here. Build your cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do that which hath proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of the Reuben, Reuben spake unto Moses, saying, Thy servants will do as my Lord commandeth. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and our, all our cattle shall be there in the cities of Gilead. But thy servants will pass over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord saith. So concerning them, Moses commanded Eliezer, Eliezer, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said unto them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben will pass with you over Jordan, every man armed to battle before the Lord, and the land shall be subdued before you, then ye shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. 
then, of course, the results if they do not. This is what this particular portion is talking about here. Joshua here is meeting with the Gadites and the Reubenites and the the Manessites, and he's reminding them of the oath in which they have taken before the Lord and before the people. They are to go over and to be a help. Now, they could have disobeyed. And, of course, as God said, be sure your sin will find you out. And so now, then, they're called to remembrance of this oath, and they're called now to fulfill what they have said they would do. Well, what's the application of that? Well, obviously, we ought to do what we say we're going to do. If we have made obligations or said we were going to do certain things, then, brethren, we ought to be faithful in doing it. Psalm 15, when he talks about those who will be members of Zion, he tells us in that one of the verses there that one of the things, even to our own hurt, he says in verse 4, "...in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord." He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Even someone who realizes, oh no, this is going to cost me much. But I've already said I was going to do it, so thus I must do it. Even if it costs him something. And So we see here, brethren, the responsibility of God's people to be faithful in carrying out their obligations whether before the family, before the workplace, before our government, before the church. And just to put it back here in the church, the idea, brethren, this is what church membership is all about. It is a covenant relationship. We come in coveting to do certain things and not do certain things. And brethren, we ought to live up to those covenant engagements that we made when we said we'd be members here. Or be sure your sin will find you out. This is a important thing. God doesn't take it lightly. In fact, one of the marks of the unregeneracy in Paul's day, in fact, in every day, is that men, women, and children are covenant breakers. In Romans, and when Paul is giving there something of the reprobate, And how that they live and move and have their being before God and society. One of the things that he makes mention of them in Romans chapter 1. And beginning in verse uh, 29. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, uh, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding. And then he says, covenant breakers. And how little people take this to be as an important thing, an important matter. Oh, brethren, when we say we're, when we make an oath in particular and we say we're going to do something, we ought to do it. Lying is a serious matter. It's not something to trifle with. There will be no liars in heaven. And so the people of God here are told, or these particular tribes here are told, remember the covenant you made? Then you need to fulfill it. Well, what's their response in verses 16 through 18? And here we see it. 
we see a couple of things. First of all, it is just their response. How do they respond to their reminder? Well, first of all, they don't say, Ah, oh, Joshua, that happened years ago. It's okay now. I became a member years ago, and so, you know, really, does God really expect me to be uh, still fulfilling my covenant relationship with my fellow brethren? Ah, uh, yes. Be sure your sin will find you out. Absolutely. Nor do they buck against it. What do they do? And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. Whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so we will hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. This is very heartening, isn't it, to read that? What was their response to Joshua? Well, the basics of it is, was yes, we will do it. In fact, we will put to death any who will not do it of our people. This is how faithful at this point these men are. These armed men who were to go over and take possession of the land with their brethren. Not only that, but they encourage Joshua. You know, they didn't say, well, who are you, Pope? I mean, what are you, a Pope here? Are you some kind of tyrant? No, what does he tell? They encourage Joshua. Here he is, you know, Joshua standing there probably realizing, what are these people going to say to me when I remind them of their covenant obligations that they made back in the wilderness here? Well, rather than kicking against Joshua, instead, they hearken to him, they hear him, and they recognize what they had said unto Moses, verse 17, we, as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. And then they actually put a blessing upon him. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Only, verse 18, only be strong and of a good courage. That's exactly what God had told him from verses 2 down through verse 9, wasn't it? Remember we said how that was repetitive in verses 2 through 9? Be strong and of good courage. God was telling Moses, you're going to go over to the land. You need to be strong and good courage to do this. You need to be brave. This is exactly what these folks tell him. So just kind of the very opposite. What you might expect from some today, isn't it? Notice here that apparently from the wording here, they take all this very serious and sober-minded. We'll put to death those who don't do this. That's seriousness. That's walking soberly before the Lord. And brethren, this is exactly what is called for in the Christian warfare that we are engaged in. We're not to be half-hearted. We're not to be double-minded. We're not to be fence straddlers. But we're to be dedicated despite the cost 
of ourselves. Remember, they have to leave their loved ones. They have to trust God that he's going to take care of their loved ones in the, on the other side of, of, uh, of the Jordan before the end as they cross over. They're going to be leaving their families for a period of time in order for them to help the nation of Israel continue on in their thing. This reminds me, as I was think, studying this, reminds me of Luke 14. And this is what we'll close with. You know, some people see the Christian life as just, I go forward, make this prayers, make this profession, I'm baptized, and then I kind of go my merry way. And it doesn't really matter and uh, what happens afterwards. Because, you know, I did that thing that was necessary. Well, that is not all that is necessary. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus about following Him. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he had laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it. And all that behold, it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is at a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. Get the idea there, don't you? It's not something you jump into. Christianity is not a, oh, doesn't matter what's going to happen later. You know, I just want the fire escape insurance. Jesus says, that's not what it means to follow me. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that not forsaketh all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that seems to be the wording of the Reubenites and the Gadites and those of the Manasseh. They're willing to do what it took. And are we here that way? Yes, in our society, I know it's very easy to make a profession. In fact, there's a lot of false ones going around right now. But God doesn't see that in the light that we do. Christianity is a very serious and sober-minded business. We put our hand to the plow and we don't look back. Even in the particular generation in which we live, we don't put our hand to the plow and look back. Even in the relative ease of serving God, as we do have here in America, we're not facing what the first, Christ, first century Christians faced. And we're certainly not facing what those in the book of Joshua will be facing So whatever climate, whatever society, whatever generation we're in, we put our hand to the plow and we don't look back and we go. Has that been said of you? Are you doing this? If not, you cannot be his disciple. This is not how we become disciples. He's telling you this is what disciples do. This is what disciples are. Perhaps you've lived the facade long enough and you should realize this isn't you. 
even in the relative ease that I have here in America, I don't put my hand to the plow and I keep looking back, even if I had a hand on the plow. Perhaps that's where you're at. Let me assure you this morning, out of love for your soul, you cannot be Christ's disciple. It just doesn't work. Either Jesus is wrong here, which he's not, or you are, which you are, if you have not forsaken all and followed him.